Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. Desmond Doss was drafted into the United States Army back in April of 1942. He actually could have had a deferment because he worked at the Newport News shipyard, or at least the naval yard or some yard here in Newport News, but he wanted to serve his country. Desmond was a Christian, however, and he had a conviction that as a Christ follower, uh, he should not kill anyone, even in war. And he thought the war was a just war, and so he wanted to serve, and so he volunteered as a medic so that he could help save lives. In March of 1944, he shipped out with the rest of the 77th Division for the Pacific Theater, first to Guam, then to the Philippines, and finally to uh, partake in the Allied invasion of Okinawa, about 340 miles from the mainland of Japan. Many of us know Desmond's story from the movie Hacksaw Ridge, but he was ridiculed, just in case you didn't know the story, he was ridiculed mercilessly and tormented by his fellow soldiers. He was humiliated by his captain. Uh, they attempted, the army attempted to court-martial him because he was unwilling to take up a gun, uh, to carry a gun. However, he was not court-martialed. He never gave up on his convictions that, that as a Christian, he was not to carry a gun. And so his character continued even though he was under tremendous stress to do otherwise. Uh, on April 26, 1945, the Americans sought to take Hacksaw Ridge as it became known in the Battle of Okinawa. It was a brutal battle. The Americans were sorely knocked back at their first attempt. And Desmond Doss that day, however, stayed on top of the ridge and without a gun. He saved 75 men going back and forth into the battle zone, you know, lowering wounded soldiers. Again, those of us that saw the movie, you saw this portrayed. Lowering wounded soldiers one after another uh, without violating his convictions ever. He never expected to get off the ridge was his testimony. He never thought that he would live through that. In fact, he was shot. He was injured by a grenade that went off. Uh, it affected his life from there out because of the injuries he took that day. But he, he did live, and his character and his convictions impacted that day forever, and more importantly, impacted people forever. Now, today we want to turn our attention to Daniel 6, and if there's, there's one thing that I want you to see in this story, it's going to be this this morning. It's that loving and serving and following God impacts life. Right, let me say that again because that's kind of my thesis this morning. Loving and serving and following God impacts life all around us. Desmond's life impacted everyone around him, but, but millennia before then, Daniel's life had already done the same. So let me set the setting of the, of the text this morning for us. One thing that's clear in history is that nations rise and nations fall. Nations come and they go. It's the story of history repeated over and over again. The Greek Empire, the Roman Empires have come and they've gone. There was a time when the sun did not set on the English Empire. France and Italy and Germany and Japan were major nations to affect the world. Today, they have little impact on the world. The Soviet Union collapsed, and I dare say it appears that our American nation is in the throes of drastic change, which will most likely lead to a different future for our nation. In our story, Daniel 
is still in Babylon, but a different government is now in charge. With Belshazzar's death in chapter 5 and the ascension of Darius the Mede to the, to the throne in chapter 6, we pass from the golden head of the statue in chapter 2. If you remember that, that story and that message, you know, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in the dream there's a, a statue with a gold head and a silver chest, and we're now passing from the golden head of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon's you know, rule and empire to the silver chest and its arms. Chuck Swindoll once said that the sunset of the Babylonian kingdom has now become the dawning of the Medo-Persian empire, and that is true. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Micah shared with us that that uh, I mean, excuse me, that Daniel was in his 80s. Some have suggested that he was maybe near 90 years of age, but it's obvious he still had his physical health and he had his mental faculties. They had not been diminished. You know, I did some reading this week and I discovered that there's a lot of octogenarians, that's people in their 80s, that have impacted the world greatly. Uh, Michelangelo painted one of his greatest paintings at 89. John Wesley preached some of his most undiminished sermons with eloquence at the age of 88. Edison was inventing at 90. Charles, uh, George Bernard Shaw was writing plays at 90. Grandma Moses was painting at 80. J.C. Penney, one of the greatest Christian businessmen ever, was working strenuously at his, death, at his desk excuse me, at 95. And, and our own Ray Hampton, this is kind of neat, our own Ray Hampton here in Surrey County has been pastoring Surrey Baptist Church just up the road for the last 14 years. He became the pastor of Surrey Baptist at the age of 80, and today at 94, he's still pastoring Surrey Baptist up the road. I say all that to say, unfortunately, so many of us are saying, I'm 55, I'm 60, I'm, you know, I'm done. I've been serving, I've been serving an awful lot. You know, it's time for the young people to step up. Any of you ever said that? Any of you ever thought that? It's time for the young people to step up. You know, I want to suggest to us that, yes, it's time for young people to step up. Taylor, I really appreciated what you said in the video because it's, it's, it's a theme for me with regard to your age grouping, and that is that you are not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. I mean, you're, you, need to be you need to be the church today. You don't need to be waiting to be the church tomorrow. You are the church just as we are the church today, okay? But, so you do need to step up, young people. But, but old folks, you know, which Jamie and I are part of, we do not need, we do not need to relinquish leadership and servanthood because we, we're approaching 60, or heaven forbid when we get to be 70, or even 80. I tell you, we're forfeiting some of the best years of our life when it comes to wisdom, when, when we are not willing to continue in service, even at a at an older age. Now, God put Daniel, who's pushing 90, in, in a place where he wanted him to be, which is going to be right there in the middle of the government of the, of the new Medo-Persian empire. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the last couple of verses of Daniel 5. And I imagine that, I can't remember if Micah read these last week or not, but verse 30 uh, through verse cha chapter 6, verse 2, let's read them together. The same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, and these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. One of the first questions we, we need to ask ourselves this morning as we begin this text is, who is Darius the Mede? 
Again, let me refer to Micah and last Sunday as he told you that Belshazzar was believed to be a, a fabrication by Daniel. Daniel wasn't true because it was written many years after it was supposedly to be written. And Belshazzar, there's no historical evidence of him. There wasn't any way at the time. And so liberal scholars who denied the Bible said, hey, there's no such person as Belshazzar, only to be proven wrong later by history and by archaeology. Well, Darius the Mede is, is similar. There's no mention of Darius the Mede outside of Daniel's writing. And so many people say that Darius is a fabrication, those who deny the validity of the scriptures. However, I want to suggest to you this morning that Darius, the, the word actually means owner of the scepter, and many men throughout history, several, I shouldn't say many, many, several men throughout history have carried the title or the name Darius. So obvious Darius isn't a name, it's a title. Much like Caesar or Pharaoh was a title, so Darius is a title. Some have suggested that Darius the Mede is General Ubaru, who actually fought the battle that killed Belshazzar that we read about last week. Others have suggested it was a different uh, vicegerent over, over Babylon who served for Cyrus. Others have said it was Cyrus himself. I lean towards it not being Cyrus because Cyrus was a Persian and he probably wasn't 62 years of age. Darius was a Mede and he was nearly 62 years of age. So we don't know his identity exactly. Whoever Darius the Mede was, he was the new king representing the new empire and the new regime. And here's the thing that I want you to note. I want you to know that Daniel's life intersects with this new empire. The truth is, the world around us intersects with our lives all the time. You understand what I mean by that? That, that our lives are impacting the world around us all the time, at least in our little sphere. And sometimes we might have a bigger sphere. Sometimes we just have a really small sphere. But our lives are intersecting with the world all around us, and we see that here in Daniel's life. Your life and my life are constantly touching people all around us, and so it should be. God didn't create you to be an island. He didn't create you to be a hermit. He created you, listen, he created you to rule the world in his stead as a vice regent for him. Our lives are supposed to touch things and make them better. In Genesis chapter 1, God created us to have dominion over the world. He says, subdue it and fill it. In other words, our lives are to make this world that he created. We're to rule it in his stead for him, and we're to make it better. And when our lives intersect the world, our job, our goal is to make things better. I have to tell you, about two weeks ago, I was working on this talk for this morning, and it really just it struck me. It struck me really strongly, listen to what I'm going to say now, our mission to make disciples, that is to preach the gospel of Jesus, it never rescinded our previous enduring eternal mission of ruling the earth for God. Now, if you didn't follow that, let me just say it again. It's really important to what I'm going to be saying. And that is that, you know, God's given us a commission as followers of Jesus. And our commission is to go and to preach the gospel into all the nations. And, and so that is what God's called you to do. It's what he's called me to do. I think the church, that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be about. But that never somehow, you know, did away with our previous commission, which is to touch the world, to rule the world, you know, in Jesus' name. And that is that I, as a vice regent for God, am to exercise dominion in the world. And what I think that means from God's perspective is that I am to work out God's righteousness in our world today, the righteousness of his kingdom in heaven, I'm to work that out in his kingdom here on earth. 
And so I am to be an agent of righteousness in the world. So along with preaching the gospel, along with telling people about Jesus, I am, and this is Jesus, these are Jesus' words, I am to be salt and light. In other words, I'm not just to be preaching the gospel, guys. I'm supposed to be making the world a better place. Remember this. The brokenness of the world has come about because of sin in our life, and we're all broken. But Jesus has renewed us. He's not perfected us, but he's renewed us. And he's given you his spirit. If you belong to him, he's given you his spirit. And he's given you power. And he's given you the ability to change the earth, to affect the world where your life intersects with the world. I am to be one who seeks to make the world a better and more righteous place. And taking my cue from the Word of God, here's what I think that means. I mean to fight for justice in the world. I'm to be one who seeks to uplift the poor. I'm to be one who, who helps the marginalized. And listen, I'm to be one who stands up against evil all around me. Because evil is real. Even, e- evil's not just somebody's opinion of what's right and wrong. Evil is real. And I am to be someone who stands up against that because that's my calling as, as one of God's vice regents, as one of God's creation. That's what I am to be about. Now, I can't prove from the book of Daniel that Daniel stood up against injustice or that he spoke out for righteousness, though I believe with all my heart that he did. That wherever he was, whatever was standing before him, I I believe that Daniel was an agent that spoke for God, who spoke for righteousness, spoke up against injustice. What I can say for absolute certainty is that every time Daniel's life intersected with the world around him, he was faithful. Daniel's faithfulness, if you were here last week, was, was one of Micah's main points, if not the main point of his talk last week, of his message, his sermon, was that Daniel lived faithfully, always on call for God. In other words, we see these little tidbits of Daniel's life throughout 80 years. You don't see very many of them. It's just a few. But, but in these 80 years that Daniel has lived in Babylon, or, or 70, 65, 70 years that he's lived in Babylon, I mean, he has lived faithfully so that at any moment's notice where his life intersects culture or intersects the world, he is ready. And chapter 1 proved that. So when his life intersects the whole issue of food, and you say, what's the deal with food? We already talked about that. Go back and listen. But where his life intersects with food, he stands faithful to God. And I suggest to you that in every situation of his 80 years or plus, he was He was standing faithful to God. Now, chapter 6, we find Daniel's life intersecting with the new kingdom, and it continues to reveal faithfulness to us. And Daniel's faithfulness reveals four realities that I think are true for each one of us if we'll live faithfully for God just like Daniel did. Now, I want to make sure you're following me before I get into my my four realities that are true for you and me even as they were true for Daniel. I want to make sure you're following me. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that our mission in life, in faithfulness to God, is to live in this world faithful to him, making the world a better place, a righteous place, a a place where where truth abounds and and, and goodness and godliness is the order of the day and where we're seeking to make God known to the world. That's our mission. It's a twofold mission. As a follower of Christ, I need to preach Jesus. But as a creation of God and a vice regent for God, one who's been given dominion over the world, I need to live in righteousness and, and bring forth righteousness in 
to the world. And that's what Daniel does. His life is that way. His character is that way. And in so doing, his life reveals to us four things that I think will stand true for us if we also live in faithfulness. And here they are. Number one, our character is clearly going to stand out. Our life, our, our existence, who we are, is clearly going to stand out in the day. Verse 3, look at the text with me. And then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. And then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. And then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Now, how did Daniel get to be in such leadership position to start with? How did he get to be one of top three leaders under Darius's rule? Obviously, it's because people, including Darius, noticed his great integrity, his reputation, his faithfulness, you know, went out ahead of him. And that's how he gets to be asked to be one of three leaders over this new kingdom under King Darius. His walk matched his talk. Day to day, for 80 years, Daniel had lived in faithfulness to God. And it was common knowledge, not just amongst the people of God, but it's obvious that it was common knowledge amongst the pagans of the Babylonian rule that Daniel was a man of integrity, that Daniel's character and life was one of faithfulness to God that made him righteous in all his doing. Now notice that the commissioners looked for dirt because they wanted to remove Daniel. They looked for dirt in all kinds of areas to dealing with government, but they simply could not find anything, nothing against him. And they said, hey, the only way we're going to be able to find something against, against Daniel is in the area of his, his law, his relationship to God, his faithfulness to his God. Now, as Darius grew to know Daniel, notice this, that not only was he at first going to be made one of three leaders, as Darius got to know him, his character, his faithfulness stood out all the more. And what, he, what, what Darius then tried to do with him, he tried to make him as head over everybody. So it's going to be Daniel, maybe three other commissioners, and then all the satraps under him. Daniel is first. Now, here's my point. I'm trying to make it, and hopefully I'm doing it. If we live faithful to God, our character... Our integrity, our life is going to be noticed by people. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says something really similar. He says, we must become blameless and pure without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. Here's what Paul says. You know, if you live for God, if you live faithfully for God, you are going to stand out like the stars stand out in a, in a black night. You know how those stars just, I mean, they pop against the black velvet of, of the universe? In the same way, he says, if, if you live blameless and pure without fall, in other words, if you live faithfully to God in this crooked and depraved generation, you're going to be like the stars and you're going to stand out. And that's what I want to say to all of us this morning. This is the first reality. If you will live faithfully to God, your life will stand out. People will take notice of your life. That brings me to my second reality, and it's this. Our life, our character, lived in faithfulness to God, will unfortunately, I say unfortunately, but it will provoke some against us. 
you live faithfully to God, your life is going to, it's not going to sit well with everyone. It's going to provoke some. They're going to hate you. They're going to scorn you. They're going to turn against you. And we see this in Daniel's life. Some loved him. Some admired him. But some sought to ruin him, remove him, even kill him. Verse 6. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom and prefects and satraps, the high officials and governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute, enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Interjection here. I guarantee you Daniel wasn't part of that group of commissioners who made that recommendation. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. So the commissioners couldn't find anything against Daniel with regard to government or just his dealings with people. And so what they did is they made up this, this thing that they came to, the, to Darius with, and they said, Darius, you know, make a law so that nobody can pray, nobody can talk or ask anything of any God or of any person but you for the next 30 days. And if they do that, cast them into the lion's den. Now I'm speculating here, but I would imagine that... He sold, they sold that to Darius on these grounds, on the grounds that, um, Darius, you know, if you do this, it'll weed out all the people that are against you. You know, anybody who's not willing to do this is going to be somebody who's disloyal to you. I imagine that's kind of how they sold this idea. However they did it, you know, it, it worked. It worked. Now, they couldn't find anything to accuse Daniel with when it came to just his dealings, so they chose this one area that they considered to be something that they could use, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Daniel to God, excuse me, to, to find a way to remove Daniel. Now, I just want to tell you, folks, this is how it often works. If you're a man of faithfulness to God, if you're a woman of faithfulness to God, then when people turn against you, they're going to use your faithfulness against you at times. Not always, not always, but some will do that. In 1981, some of you will remember this. I, I was a young 20-something, a millennial. I guess not a millennial. I was a baby boomer who'd be like a millennial back then, right? So back in 1981, I was in my 20s, and a distinguished pediatric surgeon was made the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, and his name was Dr. C. Everett Koop, and he was the surgeon-in-chief of the Children's Hospital in Philadelphia, where today there's a surgical center named in his honor. He was a pioneer of pediatric surgery, an inventor of many pediatric surgical techniques. He founded, and at the time he was the editor of the Journal of Pediatric Surgery. He had been awarded the French uh, Legion of Honor. Coop was a stellar surgeon. You could find no fault in him except for one thing, and it's not a fault from our perspective, but C. Everett Coop was a committed Christian, and he sought to honor God in the way that he practiced medicine. And the only, only thing that his opponents had against him was that Coop opposed abortion on the grounds uh, that the Bible teaches that the fetus, that the unborn baby is made in the image of God, and to abort such a child is to commit murder. Ronald Reagan appointed him as the, as the Surgeon General, and probably because he was pro-life, but aided by the media and his opponents, Coop's record was attacked. Not his surgical record, but his Christian record. 
He was, he was repeatedly portrayed as a closed-minded fundamentalist. The Washington Post described him as a fundamentalist Christian with a Lincoln-esque beard. Those of us that were alive back then remember he kind of looked like Abraham Lincoln with his beard. Uh, the Boston Globe dismissed him as a mere clinician with tunnel vision. These and other attacks on his Christian conviction delayed his appointment for almost a year, but of course, Sierra Coop became the, the Surgeon General. But here's my point. Here's my point. The only thing that could be found to use against C. Everett Coop was not his medical credentials, not his skills, but his Christian faith. And, and that's what I want to say to you all. It, it is precisely our faithfulness to God that is at times going to rile people up. So here's what I want you to remember about faithfulness to God. Everybody take note of this. Faithfulness does not mean everyone is going to like you. In fact, faithfulness, according to my, to my point here, faithfulness means that, that some people actually aren't going to like you. Faithfulness doesn't mean that everyone will want to be your friend. In fact, some are going to consider you an enemy. Faithfulness does not mean you won't suffer for it. Faithfulness does not mean you won't face unfairness in your faithfulness to God. All of these things are true of Daniel. Jesus often talked to us about when we stand in faithfulness, what would happen to us. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things, all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I have a personality characteristic that is actually, I think, a great weakness in my life. And it's this. I want everyone to like me. I, you know, if there's a truth side and a grace side, and here's the balance, I, I fall on this side. I recognize that. I, I think that characteristic can be a strength, but, you know, any strength to the opposite extreme is a weakness. So, you know, I, I have that weakness. I, I have a tendency to compromise the truth by not speaking up. Not by saying something contrary to truth, but for not speaking up and staying quiet when I actually should speak up. Faithfulness involves character, but it involves speaking forth and stepping up and, and, and standing firm. So everyone, we've got to get over it. Not everyone's going to appreciate your faithfulness. Not everyone will stand, you know, some will stand against you. Not everyone's going to stand with you. So stop trying to be someone that everyone likes. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should be rude or unkind. I don't think there's ever a reason for us to be, un to be rude or unkind. I don't think there's ever a reason for that. But we've got to get over this idea that everybody's going to like us when we stand for what we believe is true and when we walk in faithfulness. So if you're like me, you know, you need to, you need to work on this, to, work, to, 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 move your, to move the little lever in your life closer to center, where, where you're not concerned about everybody liking you. Everybody with me? I have a friend who ridicules American Christians when they speak of persecution. And he's right. Comparatively speaking, our persecution is in a different class than most of the world. He's absolutely right. But, but, you know, on many levels, whether it's the rising to the persecution of many of our brothers and sisters, martyrdom is, is at a high in all of history right now. More Christians are dying for their faith now than ever before. And I realize that our persecution as American Western Christians doesn't come anywhere close to that. But nonetheless, it's still true. Your faithfulness is going to provoke some to stand against you, and you need to recognize that. 
Number three, reality of, of walking in faithfulness to God. Our character, our faithfulness will certainly be tested. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now on his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three, day, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. And then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. And then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making petition three times a day. You know, my injection here, you know, <laughs> the king goes, uh-oh. I recognize what they've done. They, they've tricked him. And remember, he's trying to promote Daniel above everybody. He recognizes they've tricked him. Verse 14. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And, and even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. In other words, I, I think what happens is the king's kind of deciding, I'm not going to do this. And they come to say, you can't do that. You've got to follow through with what you've said. Now, here's the reality that Daniel experienced in a big way, and that is that his faithfulness to God was tested. And it's a reality that I want to say to all of us this morning. You can bank on this. Your faithfulness to God is going to be tested just like Daniel's. Faithfulness to God, godly character, it's not forged in a vacuum. It's, it's concreted in the mold of testing. And so God is going to strengthen that in that same testing. The moment the document is signed, Daniel has a decision to make. He has never hidden his faith. He's always made it out there in front. He's got windows that face Jerusalem three times a day, evidently, in the morning, at noon, at night. He would go and he would pray in his window. Everybody could see him. You say, isn't he bragging? Isn't he showing off his faith? You know, I don't think he's bragging, but he's definitely showing off his faith. He's definitely saying to everyone, you know, my God is the God Jehovah. My God is you know, Yahweh, my God is the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's definitely demonstrating this, and evidently for 80 years he's done this. So he has a moment. He has a moment. What am I going to do? Daniel's a smart man. As soon as the, the document is signed, he knows what it's all about, and he knows what's awaiting him is the lion's den, and certainly Daniel would have known what the lion's den meant. There's not one lion, but lots of them. Not lions who are well-fed, but lions who are starved so that anybody who's thrown in there doesn't have a chance. You know, I read some other things on, on lions that, that, just let me show you. A lion's tongue is made up of a thousand little knife-like cells. Think of your house cat who licks itself with its tongue, basically, you know, giving itself a haircut with its tongue. Well, well the lion's tongue is like that, but so much worse. And it's possible for a lion basically to lick the skin off of, its, off of its prey. And in fact, it's not uncommon for lions to keep their prey alive while they flay them to death and eat them. I, I say all that. I don't know whether Daniel knew all that stuff or not, but, but what faced Daniel was faithfulness or a life of, I mean, a, a, de a very painful death and, and lost. 
And, and yet this 80-year-old maintains his, his integrity. He maintains his faithfulness to God. And so he go, goes and he does what he's always done. He doesn't shut the blinds. He could have shut the blinds, but he doesn't shut the blinds. He goes and he kneels for prayer morning, noon, and night. And it says in the text that like in a prearranged time, all these men go so they can watch him do that. So then they can go to the king and say, aha, Daniel is violating your command. Here, here's the point that I want you to see in Daniel's life. And it's true, everyone. Faithfulness is always tested. Always, your faithfulness to God is going to be tested. Now, I don't mean necessarily that we're going to be tested like Daniel was. I don't mean that you're going to, you know, face, you're going to face a lion who's going to lick your skin off and, and, and kill you and eat you alive. But, but I tell you what, your, your, your faithfulness to God is going to be tested. Here's something else. The rest of us may not know when you're being tested. Only God may know, but God does know. He never tempts us to sin. God never desires you to sin. He doesn't want you to sin. He's never tempting you so that you will sin. But I tell you this, God does test you. And you've heard me say this many times, the same Greek word, tempt and test, same word. The only difference is the intent of God. God's intent is not for you to fall. God's intent is for you to stand. And when he allows you to be tested, it's because he knows you can stand. You, you don't have to surrender in. Now, Peter says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When, when our faithfulness is tested and we come out on the other side faithful, Peter says, man, that is more precious to us than, than a huge bank account. When you get on the other side of being faithful to God, it, it's just... Wow, it's like, it's just so meaningful to you to know that, man, I've loved God. I've stood the test. I've been faithful nonetheless. Now, what do you do when you fail the test? The, te the test of faithfulness, what do you do? <laughs> I, I dare say probably all of us in here know the agony of defeat. Is that not true? Definitely true for me. I, I know it's true for you, too. Like Peter, we've denied him when we should have stood for him. Like Judas, we betrayed him when we should have supported him. Like Mark, we've abandoned him when we should have stayed the course. Like Thomas, we were incredulous when we should have trusted him. What do we do when we're faithless? Remember what Timothy said? He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. You know what that means? I, I haven't until this week. I, I think I know what that means. Here's what I think it means. It means if we confess our sins of being unfaithful to him, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the deal. When, when you drop the ball and you're unfaithful, when, you're, when you don't stand the test like Daniel did, and, and some of you this morning, you're in here and you came in spite of the fact that you feel defeated because you weren't faithful this week. You stepped up to the plate and you walked away. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't remain faithful to God. And you're in this morning and you're defeated and you feel like giving up. Here's what I want to say to you, man. Just God is faithful. Even though you were faithless, God is faithful. Confess your sins. Turn from your sin. 
And this loving Father of ours will forgive you your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness and give you an opportunity once again to stand in the next test of faithfulness when it comes. So if you drop the ball this morning, you know, don't drop it forever. Pick it up. Confess your sin. Repent. Walk with God. Your faith, your faithfulness will be tested not once but over and over again in your lifetime. And just because you pass today doesn't mean you'll pass tomorrow. Just because you failed today, you can stand tomorrow. Let me keep reading verse 16. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought, laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. And then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting not eating, no entertainment was brought to him, and he did not sleep all night. His sleep fled from him. That's how much he loved Daniel. And then the king rose at dawn, and at the the break of day, went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near to the den, to Daniel, he cried out in a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly served, been able to deliver you from the lions? I think he didn't expect to get an answer. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth, the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I have found found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. And then the king was very pleased. He gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, no injury. Whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king gave orders then and brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. And they cast them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And the lions had a feast. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Most of us know the story, how it turned out. God tested Daniel and God rescued Daniel from this horrific death. I've made this point many times over the the last years. I, I continue to make it. It needs and bears repeating all the time. And that is that the test of faithfulness is not that you believe that God is going to deliver you. That's not, that's not the test of faith in faithfulness. The test of faithfulness is that you will trust God at whatever happens. That whatever he allows, whatever he causes, because God can allow and God can cause, you know, whatever he does, you're going to trust him. You're not going to turn from him. You're going to believe he's good. You're going to believe he loves you. And you're going to remain faithful to him regardless of what he does. If your faith is in that God is going to rescue you every time when he chooses not to one time, you'll lose your faith. Your faith and faithfulness is in that God is good and that God is going to be with you and that at the end, God is going to resurrect you from the dead. He will raise you from the dead. He will give you a part, an eternal life in his kingdom, in his earthly kingdom, where Jesus will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. My final point, and I'm done. Our life, our character lived in faithfulness will impact others. Not only will our faithfulness be observed by others, not only will it tick some people off and provoke them against us, not only will our faithfulness always be tested, tested, but our faithfulness to God is going to be used by God to draw men and women to follow Jesus. Look at verse 25. Then Darius the king wrote to all the people's nation and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. 
I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is to be one which is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, I can't be certain that, that Darius turned from his false gods to, to follow the one true creator, God, Jehovah, but the impact of Daniel's life on Darius is, uh, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? Darius acknowledges God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. He acknowledges the God of Daniel as to be, and I quote, the living God, enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. Man, I, I fully expect Darius, the Mede, to be raised to eternal life with me. I mean, I may be wrong, but I really expect that. And from the beginning of time, God has been drawing men to himself. He, he gave us a universal witness to himself so that every man in every country in every obscure corner of the world has a witness to God. And it's creation. Creation witnesses to the existence of God and to the power of God and his glory. He has sown a witness in creation. He's sown a witness in our conscience Every man's conscience. Now, he can, he can harden his conscience. He can sear his conscience. But every man is born with a conscience. That's why children, it's real easy for them to know that there's a God. Because in their conscience, they, they know that there is a God. And in every individual person, God has given a witness to himself in our consciences. But many men, maybe most men, they harden themselves against that. They suppress the truth and turn away from it. So, so from the call of Abraham, God is raising up himself a third witness, at least. You know what the third witness is? It's the witness of his people. It's the witness of his people. So God calls a nation. Maybe more exacting, God creates a nation from Abraham. It's the nation of Israel. And in this nation, men and women are to love and follow God. And so when men and women that are outside of this nation see the relationship that these people have with God, they're going to be drawn to God, and, and, and they're going to come to God. Unfortunately, that nation, so many people in that nation suppress the truth like everyone else. Today, we believers are a holy nation. I would even say that nation, but we are a holy nation that God wants to use to draw men and women to himself. We are that witness for God. On Wednesday night, the young people, we're, we're reading through the book of 1 Peter. And last Wednesday, we read this verse. Conduct yourself honorably amongst the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Peter says, listen, you live in this world that's really dark, and you're being slandered by evildoers. You live this righteous life, this faithfulness to God, and what's going to happen is that on the day that God visits them, on the day that the Holy Spirit's working in their life, you know, they're, they're, going, they're going to return because they're going to see God in you. Jesus tells us much the same thing. He says in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be, cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives, it light, gives its light to all who are in the house. Here's the verse. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Those are the four realities that I think are illustrated in Daniel's 
life in this intersection with Darius the Mede and in this new kingdom. Your faithfulness to God will be observed by others. Your, oh, what was my second point? Drew a mental blank. Your faithfulness will be observed. Your faithfulness will provoke others. They're gonna, it's going to provoke. Not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to love you for your faithfulness. Okay? Your faithfulness to God will be tested. You don't go through life just with a life of ease. You go through life, and your faithfulness to God, your love and trust of God is going to be tested. And finally, when your life is tested and your faithfulness endures, men and women are going to see it. They're going to believe. They're going to turn to God. They're going to see Christ in you. And they're going to believe in Christ because of your faithfulness. So, let me conclude. And I want to do so by stating the obvious. I know that God gifted Daniel to be the leader he was, and that God saved Daniel from the lions, and without those two things, none of the story would have taken place. True? Here, but I'm equally convinced of this, and that is that chapter 6 would never have happened if it wasn't for Daniel's faithfulness, if it wasn't for Daniel's integrity, if it wasn't for Daniel's character. He never would have been a leader in Babylon. He never would have been a leader amongst the new Medo-Persian rule. He never would have been persecuted. He never would have had a chance to impact Darius's life or Nebuchadnezzar's life or, or Belshazzar's life earlier. He never would have had a chance to do any of that if he wasn't faithful to God. So I'm concluding by asking you this. How might God use your integrity? How might God use your character? How might God use your faithfulness to him if you consistently follow God in faithfulness? How might God change your workplace? How might God change your family? How might God change your neighborhood if you are committed to some, being someone who walks in consistent faithfulness to God? This morning, I am calling on behalf of God. I, I believe I speak for him. I call you to faithfulness today. God's desire is that you live your life faithful to him, trusting him, living, living your life to impact society and culture for righteousness all around you. Your character, your life will impact the world if you will live faithfully for him. You know, we have divorced as believers. We've divorced faith from faithfulness. I don't know exactly how it works, but you cannot divorce them. You cannot separate them. God is calling you to be a faithful steward of the calling that he's given to us to, be, to have dominion over the world, to exercise righteousness in the world. And that's for every one of you. Every one of you. That's what God is calling you to faithfulness this morning. God's desire is that you put your faith in him, that you trust him, but he's equally desirous that you faithfully live for him, that your character, your life might impact that sphere of influence that you're in. So here's my final question. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and urging you to be faithful in your scope of influence? Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.